this episode, we're going to bust through the entrepreneurial myth with a very special guest in my last ever Suitcase Entrepreneur podcast interview. Welcome to the Suitcase Entrepreneur podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Sisson from New Zealand, and I'm here to show you how to create freedom in business and adventure in life. Whether you simply want a profitable business you can run from your own home and take the rest of the time off enjoying doing what you love, or if you want to travel the world and be a digital nomad, this podcast is for you. So let's go for it. So it seems fitting as we roll into episode 298 that my final interview on this show in its current format is with Michael Gerber, the famed author of the incredibly popular New York Times bestselling E-Myth, which is all about this myth of entrepreneurs essentially starting out as small business owners and never ever thinking about the very first question they should ask when they start a business, which is how can I sell this business and how can I build it? to make an impact, leave a legacy, but ultimately to exit from it. And so I found this interview really interesting because Michael calls himself the chief aggravator. And I I like that title. And also in parts, it was aggravating to hear some of the the advice or the thoughts from him because he really is challenging you to think differently about how you're growing your business. I really wanted to be clear that my audience here is after a lifestyle and a business that supports their lifestyle, and a lifestyle of freedom. And so I think we had some good sparring matches around that, and um, I enjoyed the conversation to steer it more in that direction. And I think it's going to be unique to any of the other interviews that he might be doing right now, um, given that he's launching a book. And I, I really wanted to discuss those things as opposed to anything else. So specifically, you'll hear about why a turnkey business in this day and age can still be customized and personalized. We also go into what a turnkey business is. We talk about why would you sell if you actually enjoy and love running your business. So I sort of challenge them on can't you enjoy your business at the same time as enjoying a fantastic lifestyle. And then if you sell, what then? We talked about how he, back in 1977, the year I was actually born, started his his business and wanted to become the McDonald's of small business consulting. Why McDonald's? Because McDonald's is the most successful small business of all time. Uh, And then we delved into some other areas that I think you're going to really, really enjoy. So I hope you get a lot out of this interview. I would personally love for you to let me know what you think. Um, For those of you who love listening in on 1.25 or one and a half speed. I think this is a great interview to do it on because Michael is very considered and thoughtful in his responses. I like to talk quickly. He talks more slowly. So if you want, that's a really handy little thing on your podcast app functionality to go through this interview. Otherwise, just soak it all up over at the show notes, suitcaseentrepreneur.com forward slash 298. I'm going to link to the books that we talked about in this. I'm going to link to his book and just some other really awesome resources for you to look at. And without further ado, we're going to dive on in. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the final interview episode of The Suitcase Entrepreneur, which is pretty crazy. Episode 298, and uh, what an honor to finish off my final interview for this podcast with the one and only Michael Gerber of E-Myth fame. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Natalie, and I'm delighted to be and honored to be the very last in this series. (laughs) Well, it seems really fitting because obviously... Everything that you preach and have been educating people on for 40 plus years 
is around when you first start, build, and launch a business is to have the end game in mind. So how are you going to scale and grow that business in order to sell it? And so I think it seems pretty fitting that after almost six and a half years in my business now, I can definitely say when I started it, I had no idea about that and I had no intention of that. It was the furthest thing from my mind. So I'd love to know why you've been on this mission for 40 plus years to convince people they need to think about that before they even start the business. <laughs> well, well, if you know anything about the audience we're talking to, and of course you do, because you've been speaking to them all this time, mm -hmm. you know how much resistance uh, exists within all of us. Um, in short, we come to live what I call status quo. And essentially, status quo is terribly resistant um, to any idea which says, in short, to start anew is very dangerous ground. To go into the unknown is incredibly fearful. Mm-hmm for everybody, um, and to actually challenge everything you've come to believe about everything. I mean, it's just horrific. So because I'm the chief aggravator, because I'm constantly just pissing everybody off, <laughs> um, you can imagine that it isn't an easy road to take. It's the other road. And the other road has been my road all these 80 some odd years. Wow. So, um, yeah, so that's why it's difficult. It will always be difficult mm -hmm. because I'm challenging people to think in a completely different way than they've ever thought before. Yeah, and we had a little discussion in the chat before jumping on here, and, you know, I'm happy to be challenged. And I know in your book you definitely talk about people needing to be, um, I guess, instructable, highly instructable and open to learning, which I absolutely am. So I'm happy to talk to you through this. But a big part of what you preach, I think, and when I read your original book, The E-Myth, back in 2011, I was pretty new into my business. And I'm super thankful for reading it because essentially what it set me on was a path of creating systems, systems so that I could find myself in the end, not necessarily so that I could sell my business, but that I could find myself or that anybody else could come in and run my business should I need it. And one thing I haven't disclosed to you, Michael, is that next year in 2017, I'm actually taking a business sabbatical. So I'm taking a year off my business to test all those systems and my team and the growth of the business without me, um, which I think is really exciting and I'm super thrilled about. And I'm also very curious to see how it's going to go. But, you know, I can say in big part credit to you for, first of all, putting me onto the fact that everything should be automated and systemized because only in that way can you scale and grow. But we had a little chat in the chat function around freedom and this idea of lifestyle businesses versus giving up everything you know in order to build something that really, really matters, that's going to make a huge impact in people's lives. And I'm happy to, to spar on this one because obviously freedom is, is hugely important to me. It's my number one value. Um, and the whole point of my year off is to actually dig deeper into what freedom really means to people. And you said in your chat, Let's talk about like what freedom really means. So first off, I'd love to ask, what does freedom mean to you? Well, freedom means to me and exactly what it means, I would presume, to everybody. It means the liberty to do what you choose to do whenever you choose to do it. Mm -hmm. um, the liberty to be whoever you choose to be whenever you choose to do it. 
Um, but it's a glib response in one respect, because then it opens up the whole question about choice. And indeed, are we free to choose anything? Um, and is that freedom something that is provided to us by our government, by our church, by our religion, by our belief system, mm -hmm. by our cult, whatever it might be? Mm -hmm. Are human beings truly free? Um, because there's great argument that says, no, we're not at all. No, we're definitely um, not. <laughs> Gurdjieff, um, are you familiar with Gurdjieff? No. Okay, well, you really want to have a conversation about freedom. Um, read In Search of the Miraculous okay. by P.D. Uspensky and or read I Am That, which is an assemblage of conversations between the... Um, master, we'll call him, and people who came to meet with him when he would have these conversations in his um, ashram mm -hmm. in um, India. Okay. Oh, and so just look up I Am That and look up In Search of the Miraculous, and you'll suddenly be engaged in conversations you may never have had before. I will. Thank you so much for that because I do have a lot of research that I'm going to be doing in my quest for freedom year. And uh, it's interesting there at the beginning that you said you believe that you freedom to you is what it is to everybody else. And actually, that is the number one statement that most people give me when I ask them that question. Um, the freedom to be able to do whatever you want, when you want, where you want it. But I've actually been running um, a kind of a survey actually to my audience through Right to Freedom, which is an initiative that I've set up. And the number of answers are so amazing. Um, there are definitely patterns, but it does come back to where you grew up, your demographic, your culture, your perspectives, as you said, your mindset, your belief system. And some of them are really fascinating and completely different to what I would have thought. So hence why I think freedom is such a big topic. And when you said, um, are we truly free? Absolutely, we are not. So if we can bring that back to the business aspect, and I think what you've been on a mission to do for so many years is to help people really set up a turnkey type business that that can be scaled. And I guess my question for you on that is, can a turnkey business still be unique and personalized? And I know that you did mention that in which you create this business, it's your unique way of doing what your company does. But how in this day and age of personalization and customization can a turnkey business really stand out and differentiate itself? Well, it, it's it's important to define what I mean by a turnkey business. Yeah, I'd love for you to do that. And, and what's really interesting to me, and you, you know that my books have sold in the millions, and mm -hmm. um, The E-Myth Revisited is the most successful book on small business ever published, which is quite That's remarkable. amazing. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> when you think about that, and when I speak to people who think about me, um, they think of me as the systems guy, mm -hmm. so, as though the purpose of the book is to convince them to create a system. But the purpose of the book had nothing to do with creating a system. The purpose of the book was to create a company that has meaning, 
Okay. And it has meaning visually, emotionally, functionally, and financially. And for it to have meaning, it must be scalable. Meaning that I don't create a small business to own a small business. That's a dumb idea. Mm -hmm. I create <laughs> whatever I create to serve other people in the best possible way I could possibly serve them. Mm. And so the clarity of that says that if I could do that in, um, what little city do you live in in New Zealand? Wellington. And it's yeah, a beautiful little city. That, <laughs> if I could do that in Wellington, um, or let's just say in a, an assemblage of zip codes in Wellington, mm -hmm. for a handful of people in Wellington, that I could do that everywhere. Absolutely. Well, if I can do that everywhere, um, meaning that that's possible, then I would have to create a way to do that everywhere. And the minute I begin to discuss a way to do that everywhere, I then come into the logic that if there is a way to do that everywhere, there's a better way to do that everywhere. And if there's a better way to do that everywhere, then ultimately there must be a best way to do that everywhere. And then the conversation resounds about the way. Gotcha. And obviously, the way to do that is more about first that which I am determined to discover the way to do, which is the heart of it. So the heart of it is the first question. What is it that I am setting out to create for? Whom am I setting out to create it? And why am I setting out to create it? And what difference will it make for those I'm setting out to create it for? Do you think this is something that most small business owners completely miss when they start? Because I'll happily say when I started, I had a vision for what I wanted to do and I understood who I wanted to be serving, but I didn't necessarily know all the semantics and details. And I think this is something that I personally see my clients not getting for at least one, two, or even three years into their business. Have you found the same? I mean, you've obviously touched on the lives of probably millions of business owners, tens of millions. So do you find that's just something that people miss? And if so, why is that? But of course, they, they do miss it because they don't go deeply enough into it. In short, we're most of us satisfied with superficial answers. Mm. And because most of, and I can, we can address, so what is it about us that enables us or allows us or tolerates us to approach these questions superficially? Well, it's how we were raised. Effectively, nobody ever challenged our superficial assumptions. Nobody ever demanded more of us mm -hmm. than superficial. And so it all goes back to then how all of this started. I'm saying as one's chief aggravator, I'm here to aggravate um, that 
superficial approach to something which is significantly deeper than any of us would care to imagine, which is the creation of an organization that has a life that is vibrant, productive, creative, imaginative, um, and um, more meaningful than superficial will tolerate. And I would suggest that a company as superficial on the face of it as McDonald's is, is a hugely unsuperficial product of an unsuperficial mindset. And I'm saying if someone can do that, then I'm suggesting everyone can do that. But for everyone to do that, you have to be willing to be aggravated because you ain't going to get there being superficial. Exactly. And I simply end up leading a very superficial life. Which nobody should be doing, but unfortunately I feel in this day and age we absolutely are. We're glossing over so much and not being present and really digging deeper. And I really like that in your book you do say, you know, this is not going to be easy. This is going to be challenging. As you said, it's going to piss you off. It's going to be a roller coaster ride. It's going to be hard and you're going to want to give up in places. But obviously building something that's really meaningful, you have to go through all that to come out the other side. I guess my question is the whole entire purpose of the work that you do is to get small businesses to one, think like more like an organization and also to think about selling from the get-go. And I guess my question here, just to sort of throw it back, is if you really love what you do and you absolutely enjoy running your business, even if you have a team and systems and all these things in place and it's scaled and growing, why would you want to sell it? I guess, I mean, I can absolutely see why you'd want to sell it, but if somebody's (laughs) really loving it, what's the case for selling? Well, Natalie, let let me use a metaphor. We're born and we're born to die. So... You know, I know, every human being on the planet knows that life is a temporary affair. So I would suggest then that it would be an incredibly important pursuit for every single human being on the planet to come into relationship with the fact that I'm not going to be here forever. This is temporary. And I want to ask the question then, so then what? Yeah. <laughs> so in, in the E-Myth Revisited, I talk about um, our crap out date. <laughs> I talk about writing our own eulogy. I ask the reader to sit down and to, in fact, write the script that's going to be read by you at your own funeral. Now, if you were to write write this script that's going to be read by you, obviously pre-recorded, your own eulogy at your funeral, what do you want to say? That's focusing on the end game. And I'm saying that you must, in the same way, write the eulogy for your business. I have a saying that we use every life a legacy. Well, if every life is a legacy, and that means every life, you understand no matter what you do, that's your legacy. In short, you already have one. Now, 
putting that into question becomes the most meaningful thing a human being can do. Mm -hmm. Because you don't choose whether to have a legacy or not. You've got one. It's already there. If you were to die today and tell the story of who died, how, what, and when, and so forth, that's your legacy. Yeah. So I have a- every single every single day, whether you're in quotes intentionally choosing to leave a legacy or not, you are going to. Just a little break here to say that this podcast is sponsored by HostGator. HostGator are awesome if you want reliable hosting for your blog and website. And what's more, if you want that right now at 50% off, you just have to head across to HostGator.com forward slash suitcase. Basically, they're your one-stop shop for all things related to web hosting. Thanks to the 24-7, 365 days a year live support, which you can get via chat, phone, and email, they will answer any questions that you might have about hosting your website or blog. And they've basically partnered with me to help me help you to get started. So head to hostgator.com forward slash suitcase for 50% off any new hosting package. You can't get better than that. Now, back to the rest of this interview. So I prefer to call them a celebration of life. I dislike the word funeral. We had that for our dad last year. Celebration of life, because that's what you're doing. As you say, when you're first born on this earth, you know there's going to be a a date at which point you're not going to be here anymore. So you want to lead a good and fulfilling life and create a legacy. And I guess my question on that, and this is another thing that we kind of get to spar on, is there's a, I'm sure you've heard the brilliant anecdote of the Greek fisherman who the American businessman comes to meet him. He goes out in the morning with him on his boat as the sun's right, as the sun is rising, he catches his fish um, and the American businessman's like, this is amazing, how long have you been doing it? And he's like, 15 or so, 20 years. Um, I love it. I get up in the morning, I get to see the sun rise, I get to be out in the water, fish for these fish, bring it back to my family. We have a beautiful feast of lunch and we're very, very happy and I get just enough money for my fish to live a beautiful life. And the businessman, of course, straight away says, well, look, you could scale and you could start franchising. You could have other fishermen. You could bring in the load, the quota. You'd be making, you know, tons of money before you knew it. Why don't you do that? And he's like, well, then what would I do? And he's like, well, you'd retire and you'd live this wonderful life where you could just fish when you wanted, have lunch with your family, you know, enjoy your life. And the whole point of it. And I'm doing that now. Yeah, exactly. And so I guess that that is the point. That's this thing here around freedom. And you mentioned, you know, what is it? What does it mean to be focused just on personal freedom or in creating something definably exceptional for someone else? And do you feel you can do both? Well, Natalie, that story was written by somebody who wished to make that point. Yeah. So you understand, you understand it's a setup. Oh, for Um, sure. But I still think it's very true. Like a lot of people are chasing to be the next Google or the next Facebook and they're living their life in a way that they are working their asses off every single day, putting aside everything else that matters to them in order to create this company that they can sell for billions. And at what extent? Because their whole life is right in front of them and going by them so quickly. By the time they get there, they might be well past retirement. You never know. Like you've done it in a different way, but you just never know. And that's the bit that I fundamentally don't understand if you are running yourself in the ground to grow a business just to sell it to be able to make millions to then do what like then where's the purpose come in 
Because most well, entrepreneurs will go on to start another business. Most entrepreneurs love business so much that once they've sold, they'll do another. So you're kind of in the cycle of doing that. And if you love that and that drives you and that's amazing, excellent. But what about the people who focus on lifestyle first? Yeah, well, that that presumes something, which is a, a um, what will I call it, a point of view, a conversation point, um, a describing, in short, the rat race. Um, that um, working, 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 working to get something you've already got mm -hmm. um, doesn't make any sense. Of, of course, it doesn't make any sense if you're doing it unconsciously. And so the question isn't, um, what do I do? The question is, do I do it consciously? And so effectively, the question is whether or not I'm present when I'm engaged in this process in pursuit of something which to me is fascinating but difficult. So I, I think, have you seen the um, movie um, Steve Jobs? Uh, I haven't watched it yet, but I've heard many things about it. Yeah, watch the movie Steve Jobs, um, because it really calls all of this um, into question. Mm -hmm. The question is, what does it mean to be conscious? And when I suggested that you read In Search of, of the Miraculous by P.D. Uspensky, and I am that, um, that it raises the question, what does it mean to be conscious? And then it doesn't question, what does it mean to be an entrepreneur? What does it mean to be busy, busy, busy? What does it mean to be chasing your tail? What does it mean to be chasing her tail? It means, are you conscious or not? And it raises an entirely different question. So that it's not identified with the fisherman who goes out and catches a fish and comes back and feeds and on and on and on and on and all of the romantic stories that are created to um, tell a story that in fact never really is told. It's really to engage somebody in a deeper conversation with intention. But the intention is not to get you to, the intention is to engage you. And so in everything that I've ever written, the conversation is completely different than one might think it is. That's why I said people think of me as the systems guy. Well, it's because they haven't really deeply read what I've written. So let me give you a perfect example, Natalie. Uh, you've read my books some of them, but have you read the books that I introduce in my books in the quotes that start out every chapter? I think so I went through to do a couple, not all of them, obviously, but yeah, I definitely so always look at reading resources. Underlying the overall story is the other story. And so let me give you an example of what I mean by that. I just picked up one of my books. So I'll read um, the quote at the beginning of the introduction. And this is to Awakening the Entrepreneur Within. Mm -hmm. And it says, for once, you are going to hear a dream 
a dream that I have made sound. I dreamt all this. Never could my poor head have invented such a thing purposely. And that's a quote from Richard Wagner, Wagner. So that sets up a stage. Let me give you the quote in chapter one. The quote in chapter one says, all the influences were lined up waiting for me. I was born and there they were to form me, which is why I tell you more of them than of myself. And that's a quote from Saul Bellow in the book, The Adventures of Augie March. So my point being that there's significantly more in the book than what one would presume to be in the book. And that is simply speaking to the idea of awakening the creator within, the entrepreneur within. And that's been my conversation for the past 40 years. And how do you think somebody actually does it? Okay, short of reading the book, like what do you say is the first thing that somebody can do? Because what we're talking about here is mindset. And I don't think that gets developed overnight. But are you saying that from the get-go, you need to think of yourself as an entrepreneur, not a solopreneur, not a lifestylepreneur, an entrepreneur who's going to grow and scale a business that is going to impact the lives of potentially millions? Yeah, well, I'm saying if you're called to start your own company, you need to. Um, if you're self-employed, you need to. Um, I'm saying that if you do at all believe you're called um, to create a commercial enterprise, whether that be an enterprise of one or an enterprise of 1,000, to not engage in the conversation from an entrepreneurial perspective is a waste. It's a huge, huge, huge waste. Mm -hmm. And what it will cost you is your life. Potentially. I guess my question there is, how do you go about developing that mindset? Because it's not easy. Otherwise, everybody would be doing it. And there's plenty of people who have a hope and a dream and want to start a business or a second business or a third business. But the mindset piece doesn't get taught to people. It's And it's also not just readily available. You don't just adopt that. So when you started out in 1977 and you wanted to become the McDonald's of small business consulting, how did you develop that mindset that took you to the success that you've had today? Because, you know, did you have mentors? Did you have coaches? Was it just inherent? Did you read like crazy? Like, how did you go about developing that? Well, I, I, did, I did all of the above. Okay. Plus, you have to understand I didn't start it until I was 41. So everything that led up to that infused my activity with a significantly broader um, approach than most other people probably. Yeah, you so had life I, experience I, behind you as well. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So, you know, I was a beatnik when there were beatniks. I was a hippie when there were hippies. <laughs> I was a jazz saxophonist. I was a framer of houses. I was a seller of encyclopedias. I was a philosopher. I was a poet. I was an idiot. I was, an, yeah, I mean, I was everything and anything. Yeah. A, a wandering Jew was what I was. <laughs> and effectively, it just came to me. It just, there it was right in front of me. And then I pursued it. 
So I pursued it with everything I had. Mm-hmm. And in the pursuit of it with everything I had, going deeper into it, deeper into it, deeper into it, deeper in it, everything was a question for me. It wasn't an answer. And so because everything was a question, everything that came to me raised a sufficiently exciting another question, which then and then and then. So it's always been that. It's been the pursuit of the impossible. It is right now as we're speaking today. I can't imagine anyone living any other way than that. I just can't. And you're in a beautiful position, though, that, as you said, it just came to you and you were very, very clear in your vision back then. After 41 years of kind of life experience and all those different jobs, by the way, my dad also sold encyclopedias way back when he was young, Um, (laughs) but it it just came to you and then you could pursue that with absolute relentlessness. But what about the people who are forced into a business from hard times or who have to make ends meet or who start a business because they're looking for something different, but they really potentially just haven't been given this vision of what they want to do? How much harder is it for them to do that? Well, it does, it's not even a question, Natalie, of harder or hard or easy. It's not a question of that at all. It's just a question of what is. So what is is that wherever you are, you have the opportunity to begin again. And so I'm saying to every single human being on the planet, begin again. Join me in Michael E. Gerber's Entrepreneur School 101, (laughs) and I will take you step by step by step through the process to achieve the result that you're talking about. It will be easy for one. It will be harder for another. It will be impossible for another, but it doesn't matter because it's all doable by anyone. So I know that to be true. Mm -hmm. Having done that myself and taken tens of thousands of people through that process. I know it's true. So I'm simply challenging you and I'm saying, you want to do that? Great. There's a way to do that. I'm going to take you through that way to do that so that as you go through that, you will be that. Gotcha. It's that simple. (laughs) I wish. All right. We'll link to that in the show notes, which you guys can find across at suitcaseentrepreneur.com forward slash 298. Definitely recommend You pick up a copy to make your own judgment on that and really fully read the book, as Michael has said, and the books that he refers to. I guess I just had a couple of questions just to finish up here. When you when you started your small, you know, to become the McDonald's of small business consulting in 1977, can you recall sort of how many years you felt it took before you really felt like you'd achieved that vision? Uh, Oh, I haven't achieved it yet. (laughs) Okay, so it's still, all right, so you go, you're in it for the long run, which. (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah, we're on our way. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But you also mentioned in in our chat just before this that if one is pursuing um, their passion for creating something which has a life of its own in the service of others, if you're going for building something that's really, really worthwhile and, and not going the lifestyle route, which is something I talk about here a lot on the podcast. You said one might have to give up a great deal in order to create it, which I totally understand. If you look at something like Steve Jobs, he absolutely did. I think he even gave up on his family many times. Um, How worth it has that been for the people that you've seen that have done that? And have you done that in that case? Do you feel like you've given up everything to create this? Or do you feel that you've actually managed to build this organization and create a lasting legacy while still living a very fulfilling life? Well, you you don't really know, do you, Natalie? 
In, in short, first of all, you don't know what you've given up. Um, second of all, you don't know what is important. So effectively, it's a continuous question. So for me to be mm-hmm. presume to have the answer, in quotes, the wise man in the cave, to have the answer for all human beings is absurd. Because, of course, I don't. And if one were to look at Michael E. Gerber's life and see all of the mistakes I've made in my life, one would say, well, Michael, you could have done that better. And I would say, yeah, you you better believe it. I sure as hell could. (laughs) And then if one were to say, well, has it been worth it? Well, I'd say talk to the people I've done it for. So effectively, look at all the letters I get every day from people who primarily say, Michael Gerber, you've changed my life. And there are millions of them. And so in one respect, I'd say, then of course it's been worth it. In another case, I could say, but of course it wasn't. And so it was and it wasn't. It was and it wasn't. And I'm saying if you want anything more than that, then you're going to have to go to a much wiser person than I, but be cautious because he's lying. Or oh, she's lying. I <laughs> know. <laughs> well, I think that's an interesting point that you don't necessarily think has it been worth it. Because I would say just the lives and people that you have touched and transformed is absolutely hundred percent worth. Hopefully, the sacrifice and the learning and the adventure that you've been on as the chief aggravator. Um, so I guess at the end of the day, coming back to, to finishing this up, what does the next five or 10 years look like for you, given all the impact you've made, the books you've written, the hands that they've been given into by millions and millions and the work that you feel you're still creating and working on. So you still feel there's more to do. I had a dream, a vision, a purpose and a mission. They were explicitly stated in 1977 when I started this journey. My dream was to transform the state of small business worldwide. My vision was to invent the McDonald's of small business consulting. My purpose was that every independently owned small business owner who's called to what I'm delivering to them will in fact be more successful than a McDonald's franchisee or if they really get it, McDonald's itself. And finally, my mission was to invent the system. So I'm still on that trail. That is my dream. That is my vision. That is my purpose. That is my mission today, tomorrow, for the rest of my life. And God willing, we'll actually do it. (laughs) I think you've well and truly done a lot of it already so um it's really fantastic that you're out there leading that right through the end when your celebration of life is there and we can all look back on it um it's pretty amazing to have that much purpose and drive as well so i think the biggest takeaway for me from this is that the clearer you can get on exactly what you want to be doing um in your business and in your life and the way in which you can define that and go after it relentlessly the closer you are to actually achieving that so thank you for being a shining example of that michael and for coming on the show, and for being the final guest, and for starting your business in the year that I was born. So it gives me hope that I have um, lots of work (laughs) to do from here. (laughs) Wonderful, wonderful. And I wish you the most, most successful year you've ever had by absolutely starting anew 
And should you like to have a conversation about that, please don't be cautious. Just connect with me. Thank you so much. I'm going to go off and do that. I'm very, very much looking forward to the next year. Thanks, Natalie. Take care. Bye-bye. So what do you think of Michael Gerber's beliefs around building a business from the start that you can sell about the purpose of your business being to be scalable and sellable from the get-go around the attitude and the mindset that you need to develop in order to do this? And what did you think about the part where we discussed what if you're not given this clear vision from the start? Unlike him, who didn't have his calling at that particular point in his life and he was super clear on what he wanted to do. What do you do if you don't have that? How can you achieve that still? And I guess the big question for me still is, are you building a business that you can scale and grow so you can be mega successful and potentially earn a ton of money? Or are you building a business that supports the lifestyle that you love and enjoying your life right now? That's still my attitude on this and uh, happy to be proven wrong. I do still fully believe that having a business that you love with systems that allow you to automate it as much as possible is going to give you that freedom lifestyle. But I would highly encourage you to read his book and to figure out what you want for your business as we head into 2017. As he says, it's time to start anew, time to start afresh. And I'll be sharing exactly how I'm going to be doing that here on the Suitcase Entrepreneur Podcast. The next episode is a special, special episode. It's a consolidation of some of my favorite and your favorite guests of all time um, who are all giving their advice on 2017. And the final episode, I'm going to share with you what you can expect in 2017 and what the quest for freedom is and how this podcast is going to morph into that. So thank you so, so much for tuning in. Don't go away. I'll see you in a couple of days time. 